So, we've been in this series on the Enneagram, and I want to be honest with you, I am a little bit prejudiced against these kind of uh, personality test kind of things, because my prejudice is that they are entirely too individualistic. I think we already swim in individualistic waters here in America, like water to a fish, right? We don't even see how individualistically we are being conditioned to be all the time. So I really don't want the Enneagram to be another self-help product because following the way of Jesus is not individualistic self-help. Can I get an amen? amen? It is a new way of being human, a new way of being human community together. The Jesus Creed is love God and love neighbor. And our baptism connects us with one another as spiritual siblings. I kind of wrote a book on this, so I'm passionate about it. So that is why this week I'm going to add another dimension to our series. We've been talking about the Enneagram for several weeks, I think like four weeks at this point. And I'm going to add a social dimension this week. To do that, we're going to take a brief look at Acts 6 for biblical wisdom that we can glean there. And then we're going to talk about uh, some insights from a wonderful book called The Enneagram for Black Liberation by Chichi Agorum. But before we dive into our passage, let's pray for the Spirit's work of illumination. Would you pray with me? (sighs) Holy Spirit, you are the one who was poured out on the Jesus movement on the day of Pentecost propelling them to be witnesses of the inbreaking kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. You are also the one who liberates us from the chains of oppression, both social and spiritual. You are the empowering, liberating spirit. So would you shine your light of illumination on the words of scripture that we will hear read today and show us how you are empowering us and liberating us. And may the word be like a seed that finds good soil. May it take up root and bear good fruit, fruit that will last. And may the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. All right, so we're going to take a look at Acts 6. But before we do, let me set the stage with a little bit of context. We all know that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Jesus movement. Disciples were empowered by the Spirit, sent by the Spirit, Because they waited for the spirit in the upper room, right? We know that story. But after that, the church began to grow. More and more people were added. And suddenly there was a need for systems. (laughs) So that's where we pick up our story in Acts chapter 6. Starting in verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicoran, uh, wait, 
Nicanor? Yeah, that. Uh, Timon, Parmenas, 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 yes, and Nicholas. Right? Okay, good. That's seven? All right. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, so that's the story. The Jesus movement was growing quickly and encountered right away a systemic problem. In those days, like today, women were more vulnerable socially than men. They were disproportionately denied access to wealth creation. So when a woman was widowed, they became particularly vulnerable. And the Torah commanded that widows be taken care of by the community. So the early Jesus disciples continued to care for widows as God commanded. But within the Jesus community, there were cultural insiders and cultural outsiders. While Hellenistic Jews, that means the kind that spoke Greek, were cultural outsiders, Hebraic Jews, the ones who spoke Hebrew or Aramaic, more likely, were cultural insiders. So in a predominantly Hebraic community, Hebraic identity was centered and Hellenistic identity was marginalized. Are you following me? You got insiders, you got outsiders closer to the center of power. This resulted in some unconscious bias in the distribution of food where Hellenistic Widows were being overlooked, and this was an injustice. So the complaint arose all the way to the apostles, and the apostles recognized this as well past time to start delegating some authority. So they called for deacons to be appointed. And what we notice from this list is very interesting. All the names of the deacons that were appointed in this list are Greek names. That means that in a, in, a society, in a community that was predominantly Hebraic, they intentionally appointed Hellenistic deacons to be in charge of the distribution of food. Do you see that? Now, today, there are a lot of calls for combating systemic injustice in our society. And today, there's a lot of pushback against them. You might have heard this called wokeism. And even from Christians. Christians are calling this unbiblical, socialism, communism, or whatever boogeyman word they want to use, right? But I want you to see right here in Acts 6 that it is biblical to redress systemic injustice with cultural and ethnicity-conscious equity initiatives. Amen? Is, am I reading this wrong? Or did they implement an ethnic and culturally conscious equity initiative to right the wrongs of systemic injustice in their community? Because they realize something that we need to realize today. 
that until we are all free, none of us are free. Amen? Amen. Which brings us to the Enneagram. If we're going to push back against our conditioning in American culture to be so individualistic and to find everything to be some kind of self-help product, we've got to see the Enneagram not just as a tool of personal liberation, but as a tool of collective liberation. And that's why I was really, really happy to read Chi-Chi Agoram's book, The Enneagram for Black Liberation. One of the insights that she gives, gives us in this book is that the Enneagram uh, is not just a way of understanding how we are wired from birth. It is also a way of understanding how we have, con- have been conditioned to show up in spaces because of pain and suffering. She calls it our armor. Your enneotype is not just how you are wired. It's how you have been conditioned to show up because of pain and suffering. We've developed ways of coping, ways of earning love as a reward for, uh, for things that we do. For example, here, let me give you an example. Maybe you grew up in an environment where love was only received as a reward for achievement. That's going to be your armor. That's going to be the way that you are conditioned to show up again and again in that space to get that love. That's your reward. Or maybe you grew up in an environment where weakness was not tolerated, but punished. You learn to mask your vulnerability and put on a strong exterior shell. That's your armor. Chichi Agoram calls these our enneotypes our armor a protective outer layer that we develop in order to navigate our worlds. And she differentiates that outer armor from our essential selves. This is really important. Remember back when we started this series, I wanted to do some ground clearing because I didn't want anybody to be confused. Uh, I think sometimes we get into this mindset where I am my enneotype. And remember I said back at the beginning, you are not your enneotype. You have an essential self that is different from how you show up and how you've been conditioned to show up in spaces. Agoram calls attention to the liberation that is found when we can lay down our armor and be vulnerable. This is another way of talking about what I talked about a few weeks ago, the false self and the true self. Seizing that space between our essential selves and our armor is freedom. It's liberating. Like the famous quote that's often attributed to either Viktor Frankl or Stephen Covey says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Chichi Agoram wants this freedom for everyone. She wants us all to have the freedom to lay down our armor and be vulnerable. But there's a caveat. Chichi Agoram is a black woman living in America. So she knows that a person's freedom to be vulnerable is affected by our social locations. Everybody say social locations. Social locations. This is your proximity 
to power, to the center of power. Here's what she writes. The growth work for black, indigenous, and non-black people of color is not the same as the growth work for those who are centered. If we are living with our vulnerabilities constantly exposed and facing some harm because of it, <clears throat> one sec. I think I got it. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> can I, can, TJ, can you grab my, um, my mouth got dry. Thank you. Yeah, I could just drink the wine. One sec. Okay, sorry about that. <clears throat> if we are living with our vulnerabilities constantly exposed and facing harm because of it, our work is not then to lean further into more exposure and risk. Our work is not simply to set down the armor, but to build awareness of self separate from armor so that we can be free to choose as to when to hold up the armor and when to lower it in safe spaces. Are you following? In this way, we can still live with freedom while we do the work to liberate ourselves from the systems of oppression. If we don't learn how to do that, we can confuse our identities with the armor so much so that we become unable to access safety within ourselves. But this is exhausting work. And we cannot ask people who face the greatest risk in society to set down their armor without first asking those with the weapons to give them up. Amen. Amen. This is so crucial for our community to understand because we are an intentionally multi-ethnic, multicultural community. That means we have to understand these dynamics, these power dynamics, these cultural dynamics. This is crucial for our work of collective liberation. There are so many scales on which our proximity to power can be assessed. These are just some of them. Citizenship, skin color, formal education, ability, orientation, neurodiversity, mental health, body size, housing, wealth, language, gender, and I would add religion. Because even in 2023, Christianity is still at the center of power in this country. And if you're a Muslim or a Buddhist, you are not in the center of power in this country as much as people bemoan the loss of Christian power in America. Can I get an amen? Constantly, oh, not a Christian country anymore. It never was. Never, ever was. Never going to be. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to burst some bubbles, but... In the case of the early church, culture and language, culture and language were scales on which power was assessed. Hellenistic widows were further away from the center of power than Hebraic widows. In our society today, cisgender, white, hetero, able-bodied, wealthy, educated men are still centered and therefore privileged over others. Those of us closer to the center of power in the society, excuse me, have different liberative work to do. Here's what she says about us. For those who are centered, your work is to look at the ways in which your armor can make it difficult for others within the circle to set down theirs because you have access to more 
power, and control being in the center. In the service of collective growth and liberation, it is necessary to talk about why armor is needed for those who live further away from the center and to ask, in what ways do I participate in the harm that requires a person to keep their armor up? If it is true that no one is free until we are all free, then the illusion of freedom that being in the center gives us is just that, a delusion. Real freedom includes all of us. So what I want to say today is simple. The Enneagram can be a tool not just of personal liberation, but collective liberation. When we're able to not only see the ways we've been conditioned to show up in a space and find space between our armor and our essential selves, but we're also able to see how our armor influences others by our proximity to the center of power, then we can work towards collective liberation. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> All right, let me give you a practical example. A few weeks back, Pastor Oshita shared about a time when she was teaching on anti-racism at a large uh, church nearby. And after she'd shared about some very practical advice, she got an email from someone um, who wanted to meet with her one-on-one. They wanted to make sure that her theology was biblical. And so... um, Pastor Rashida did the right thing. She forwarded that message to the senior pastor and said, you take it from here. This was quite a while ago. And since then, um, oh, she doesn't, no longer works at that church. <laughs> She's no longer this person's, one of these, this person's pastors. Um, and because she forwarded that on to the senior pastor, who's not very good with calendars, it fell through the cracks. And this meeting never happened. So a few weeks ago, the person emailed Oshida out of the blue and said, hey, you're not a person of integrity because you never met with me and questioned her Christ likeness. <laughs> um, and if you know Pastor Oshida, which I think you all do, she's a two. Her armor that she has been conditioned to uh, show up with is to be a helper. And in the best of in the best of times, that makes Oshida an amazing helper. Right. But it also can make her a people pleaser. So even while this person was questioning her integrity, accusing her of not being Christ-like, she was like, should I meet with this guy? And I had to be like, no, (laughs) you are not going to meet with that guy, right? Because we have to see how others in our society have been conditioned to show up because of their proximity to power. Oshida felt like maybe I should still meet with this guy, because that's how she's been conditioned. What is, what is he going to think of me if I don't show up? He's going to have all kinds of narratives about me. Right? I'm, I'm angry. I'm ungrateful. All kinds of negative narratives. And I said, who cares? Who cares? And I want to note something. That when she was sharing this a few weeks, weeks ago, I heard the grumblings among all of you. All of you were like... There's no way she's going to that meeting. I will, I, will, I will stop her from going to that meeting, and I will go in her place. And that is because that's the kind of community we are. We recognize those things. We see how people are conditioned to show up. And we say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you be hurt again. 
That is what Chichi Agoram is talking about. It's not just that we need to know ourselves to get free from having to wear our armor, but we need to know each other so we can know why some of us have to wear armor in the first place. And then we can all get free. I want to leave you with a, a new mental picture, okay? Earlier in this series, I, I talked about the Enneagram as a mirror, right? The Enneagram is like a mirror that we hold up to ourselves, and it exposes our false selves, right? We can see the ways that we're conditioned to show up and to perform, and it's exhausting. The mirror shows us we don't have to do that anymore. We can rest. We can be who God has made us to be, right? But I want to give you another picture. So recently, in recent history, uh, car makers have developed this technology. It's a 360 bird's eye view. They put a dash cam on the front of the car. They put a rear backup cam on the back of the car. Then they put two cameras underneath the mirrors, the side mirrors. And, and somehow with technology, don't ask me how, they stitch it all together and they can show you what your car looks like as it's pulling into the parking spot from above. This is what we need to get to. This is the liberative 360 social view that we need to develop. Where we're not only seeing ourselves in a mirror, but we're seeing the ways that we take up space and the ways that we push others out of space. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the ways that you have made us unique. You care for each one of us the way we are, just the way we are. You care for every hair on our heads. You care for us even more than the birds who we know you feed every day. You care for us even more than the lilies of the field that are beautiful. And so you care for that essential self, that vulnerable self at the core of who we are, that we have wrapped in armor. You care for that person. You care for each and every one of us. And you also care for how some of us have to show up in that armor every day. Because of the society that we live in. And you care for this community that is learning how to love one another in the way of Jesus. I pray that you would make us that kind of community that can see 360 degrees around ourselves. The ways in which we take up space. The ways in which other people have to show up so they don't get dinged by our car. And we can be that place of rest, that place of refuge for people who feel like they have to wear armor every day. Would you make us that kind of community? Would you make us that kind of family? That's our prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen.